The F sharp diminished chord, like that's the same as four other diminished chords. Okay. So, so I guess if you that, learn that if you learn sense. a scale for just the F sharp, then you're good for at least four of them. Like, four of them. <laughs> see, look, see, that's working smarter, not harder. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. The modern problems require the modern solutions. Uh. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the. Faking Notes Podcast. Faking Notes Podcast. Today, Let's go. we have a Faking Fam feature. <laughs> this is our second Faking Fam. So today we have uh, one of our devoted uh, listeners, part of the Faking Fam, Jackie Carroll, two R's, two L's. And she's been listening since the beginning, which is absolutely stunning and incredible. We've loved like yeah. interacting with her over the past year of this journey and it's really nice to just connect with our family members we always feel like this is such a one-way street because podcasts are kind of that by design and we want to break down that barrier we want to hear from you and interact with you and we had live shows but um <clears throat> i don't know if you've heard can't do this for a while but it, it was really great to have jackie on and just see what's up jackie carroll is a pianist and a ranger and a YouTuber who makes content taking heavy metal songs that she really connects with and makes piano ballads out of them, which is, I think, just the height of creativity and transformation through different genres, which is kind of like something that I'm really into as well. She's just combined all of her favorite trends. <laughs> YouTube deep dives, singing metal, venturing out into new areas. Find out how to have fun with music and so without further ado, this is our conversation, our Faking Fam feature with Jackie Carroll. Enjoy. Thanks again for joining us. This is a particularly special episode. This is a Faking Fam feature, our second Faking Fam feature. <laughs> and we'd like to welcome you, Jackie Carroll, to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Are you still down in Florida? Yes, I'm currently in Palm Beach, Florida. So right, right by the whole Mar-a-Lago business. Fun. <laughs> what? Do you hear parties no. every night? Like, is it, no, is it there's, I'm just a little bit too far to hear any partying going on, but it does cause traffic sometimes. Oh my goodness. The motorcade, <laughs> the presidential golfing. Mm -hmm. I, just, I just don't leave my, my house when <laughs> Well, you're a responsible human during a pandemic. I remember that too, when like, uh, I think Trump came into LA once. Do you remember that, Drew? I, I probably blocked it out. Everyone always joked that these big politics, like they don't, they don't affect your day-to-day -day life. <laughs> I remember that day he had one of his fundraisers at a house right beside one of my students' place. And so I couldn't get into them. I was just driving. Next thing you know, there's a barricade. Well, this is new. Ooh. This is new. I was like, what's going on? And then I just Googled, oh my God. And I text the students, you guys okay? And they're like, yeah, we can't get to our house. They were blocked out eight hours. <laughs> That's bad. Yeah. God. Classic. I can't imagine being, being right there. So. so close to your home, but you can't get inside. How is it being down there and all of this? Like Florida is always making the news. So. <laughs> Florida always makes the news. Yeah, it's, I mean... I'm not one of the crazy Floridians that people see. At least I, I like to think I'm not one of the crazy ones. But sometimes I see things on TV and I'm just like disappointed. Because <laughs> I, 
was like born and raised here. So, yeah. So I'm just like disappointed in my people sometimes. <laughs> as uh, well, I mean, we're as, as actually all kind of fellow Southerners in a sense, of course, Florida and Texas get their own categories. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> we also understand state shame. So mm-hmm. a state shame, yeah. state sponsored shame. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm often thankful. Like North Carolina had a particularly bad rap 2016. Like we were all over the news and I'm just like, oh, oh God, oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, world. Funny enough, I saw a YouTube video one time where it was it was this dude that like just talks about a bunch of maps and he finds random maps that just like talk about various statistics. Mm-hmm. And one of them was which state hates a different state the most. Like the whole the whole country was like the states were all different colors and each color represented which state they hated. Mm-hmm. And Florida was the only one where they hated themselves. Uh, the <laughs> that's incredible. And I'm like that. That's too real. That that's true. That does take a lot of self awareness, though. Like so, mm-hmm. actually, props, props. Florida is the oh. state that hates itself. <laughs> There's a title. Sometimes, yeah. So actually, just just like us, you went to school in your home state. Yeah, I went to Florida State University. FSU, of course. Mm-hmm. My roommate Kelly Garnier, like when I lived in New uh, New York, went to FSU. Um, so she, I feel a lot of kinship because she was always going to watch football games and stuff like that. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Did you ever mm-hmm. participate in that? I went to like three of the football games during my time. I would go to like one every year, and then senior year got too busy, so I was like, mm. that's how. And it then goes. we were losing, so oh, it was okay. not fun. Okay. Like, oh, you gotta stand by your team when they're losing, girl. Come on, you gotta support. <laughs> I think my junior year, I went to a game and they lost just like terribly. Oh. But then I was, I was in that whole audition grind, you know. Yeah. Can senior you ta- year. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? About your experience in the audition grind. So my senior year of college, I was doing like the audition videos for like classical piano performance, mm-hmm. and. Those get pretty dang intense. <laughs> Just the amount of music you got to learn. It's like an hour of stuff memorized, at least. And then you got to film it. Like, can you give us an example of like a tiny program? Because I'm a violist. Like, I don't know. This. Oh, okay. So it's funny. I think my undergrad program was a little bit longer. <laughs> so I'll tell you what that one was. Yeah, let's <laughs> tell me. So I did... This Bach Prelude and Fugue in C sharp, and it's like a classic Bach Prelude and Fugue. And then I did the Beethoven Appassionata Sonata, mm-hmm. and then I did this Mendelssohn Rondo Capriccioso. Like mm-hmm. these are all piano pieces. Yeah. And then a Chopin Etude, the one that's nicknamed the Aeolian Harp. Okay. And then this Copland piece. It's called Passacaglia, and that piece is awesome. Like, I don't hear it played much, but that is one of the coolest pieces. I have to look it up. I have to add it to the playlist. Even for most of like, mm-hmm. um, of course, we know Copeland as like, you know, the great American symphonist. His piano stuff's really lit, like the piano variations. I've like heard them before. I just never played them. Apparently they're like, really hard. And then they go on and become like orchestrated. And then that's what you hear. I've seen, I had a teacher who was obsessed with Copeland. He went and got to see the original manuscripts. So he goes to the Library of Congress to like get access to Copeland scores, as you do, you know, on your free time. 
And apparently exactly. it was a whole ordeal to get in there and get access to these. And so he had to sign these like really weird waivers because that's all still under copyright. And it's it's the manuscript. It's the mm-hmm. original. It's very, very copywritten. Apparently he had to sign all these waivers that if his computer got stolen for every page, he'd owe $10,000 or something because he's going in there and scanning originals <laughs> uh, and seeing like Dang. Copeland's hand markings. But in uh, this teacher's fashion, he like showed us. The co- that contract. So he wasn't just bluffing. Like someone took his laptop. He'd be like, I legally owe them millions. No piece is worth that. Like, <laughs> I can't think of a piece that's worth that kind of like copying. Like, is there a black market for Copeland transcriptions? Just imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Shady park oh deal. Like leave the USB by the tree in the park and the brown bag's got your money. <laughs> but I'm a non-pianist, but I now work at a company that is piano based and so we've got like videos Which company? it's called tone base i love it it's a great company if you google it however uh you will get micro targeted across every single social platform so um google wisely so it it'll just cause all my ads yeah, so to be tone based because because i love the company <laughs> i love what we do but i always give everyone a hard time i'm like yeah i'm like happy to work there i love that but watch out because you're the target demo so you're going to get hammered instagram facebook we're, we're, we're ad buying so <laughs> Prepare yourself. Okay. I'll, I mean, I can be the guinea pig and see if it works. If, yeah. If you're tired you know? of like nutritional <laughs> supplements or like my seven tips to diet or Casper mattress ads on a uh, Facebook, mm-hmm. you can get hit with classical music <laughs> ads. But the neat thing is, is though I'm becoming familiar with like the classical piano rep and it's so big. And for like mm-hmm. Drew and I, for being like orchestral musicians in other types of genres, like there's just an insane amount to learn on piano it's there's really there's no comparison when it comes to rep and the level Mm -hmm. the difficulty level of achieving high pianism and the the sheer volume of things you have to deal with is a point of insanity it's like you have to use all 10 fingers at the same time like what all the fingers and then they're like you know what oh god memorize it (laughs) exactly it's it's insane You've got to blame List for that one. It's either List or Clara Schumann. It's their fault that we have to do it. Why was it Clara Schumann's <laughs> fault? Well, it's either her or List. I, I forget. But one of them started doing it just for show. <laughs> and so now it's like this expected. <laughs> oh. Always. It's one of the OG rock stars. If someone uh-huh. plays guitar behind the head, suddenly you, you got to play guitar behind the head. It's like, oh, God. Was List the recital? <laughs> He was the guy that like like coined like the the solo recital. He's like the rock yeah, star, he was, right? I keep forgetting if it was him or Clara that were the first, but both of them were yeah. the first to do it. To do and it. then List was all showy and stuff. Oh, and he had like women like trying to take his hair. And I mean, look at that long flowing hair. We'll have to share it. Someone's exactly. been doing um, these like super high def 3D renderings. Of composers and I can't remember. I think they did Chopin first I think that maybe they're like doing list but it's like insane you know as if they were on our Skype call no wonder people were showing up to their concerts like wow they're hot yeah like, like they're just they're just, just like super standards. hot and like, it makes <laughs> just, just straight up hot yeah that's why I go to the classical piano like, concert that's why we he's hot what yeah. do you do that's a hot grandpa right there <laughs> like it, look it works look at him. <laughs> it works like I mean talk about marketing like come on like if Timothy Chalamet was doing a piano recital, <laughs> I'd go. He actually really looks like like Timothy Chalamet. I mean, I, I'm not a Dune. I, I was not a Dune reader, so I'm like slow to that. I understand fanatic fandom, but just seeing him in that 
that trailer. I'm like, things are getting serious. I have not seen that yet. It but... just dropped and it like looks dope. So uh, me not knowing anything about Dune, but all I know is that the franchise okay. continually gets done dirty. And so everyone's angry. It's like a super well-known book mm-hmm. and inspired all these other Star Wars and every space franchise has, and Game of Thrones has Dune fantasy elements. And apparently every movie that's come out has been just a big hot disaster. Yeah. And like it's finally it's finally getting justice or a budget. I don't know. One of those two. Uh, <laughs> throw money at it. But it, looks, it looks dope. For the sake of the OG fans, I hope it, they I hope it turns out well. <laughs> They're reacting well. Then again, like me being a big Lord of the Rings fan, seeing the Hobbit trilogy was I think an an exercise in torture. It was something else. <laughs> oh like, god. But, but we we won't we won't we won't talk about that. Where you you go study in your home state, and then you go up to New York. What was that experience like leaving home? Well, the the leaving home part was fine. Um, but it's fun. It's funny you talk about that. I don't know if I've made it very clear on my social media, but I I was only in New York for like a semester. I was a leading question. Like I wanted to hear you talk about it. <laughs> Moving up there was like interesting. Um, this, the city was fine and everything. There was a lot, heck of a lot of people compared to like Tallahassee or like growing up in South Florida. So, I mean, I've always been a suburban kid. Mm-hmm. It was cool to see that many people. And luckily I wasn't completely alone when I got up there. There were a lot of kids at the grad school that I was at for a bit that I knew. Mm-hmm. Like there was one pianist that was actually from my school and then one pianist that I met at a summer camp a long time ago. So they were, they were my bros when I was up there. <laughs> awesome. So that was nice. Yeah, it's a cool place. It's gotta be particularly hard going up into these new scenarios. I know it was for me. Like I intentionally chose dorm living. I was like, I'm gonna fork up this dough. One, because I was a composer and I knew I needed to meet people. And with no, no, or- no orchestra, no nothing, actually similar to a pianist it's kind of hard to find your family, at least with kind of like Drew there, there is orchestra. You you should, and you were kind of forced to interact with more people. And so I, I knew that was the value. That's why I chose going up to New York was for the people. It wasn't for a teacher or, or really anything else. It was, it was for the people, but it was really difficult. Like coming from, for me, particularly like a rural part of North Carolina, uh, where I'd spent my whole life to then plop down mm-hmm. in New York. So I think, yeah, at least what, what helped me was staying in the overpriced dorm. Yeah. Hear more about your experience, Jackie, because like, there's like a kind of like a, an element of like culture shock, but how did the energy of New York like really affect your trajectory? Because like one thing that I've found at New York is like it implants you with this this electricity to like go out and produce stuff. And I'm like seeing what you're doing on social media and it really seems like you're building, you're in the building phase. And uh, it's, it's a really that, unique that's energy. That's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. Can you talk a bit more about that? Was New York like the impetus for that? So in New York, I did feel a lot of energy and like people being just truly passionate about what they're doing. And some of some of the pianists I met were like, oh, I did I did this whole recital of just 
playing all the Bach inventions and then doing like crazy improvs at the end of all of them. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> nerd. That, that's pretty cool. That, that is, that is that, some no, level great. of nerd that I, <laughs> they went after, but I commend like, it. They, yeah, let's go. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there was a lot of that. And also the place where I stayed, I stayed in a, like a dorm like place. It wasn't connected with the school I went to. So I, I went to Manus and it's a very good yeah. school. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty dang solid place. Yeah. Uh, but the dorm I was at was just like a, like a general dorm for like anyone in New York oh. pretty much. So I got a bunch of NYU people, but the coolest thing was I met a bunch of kids who were in chef school. So I befriended oh. like two of these chefs and in like the communal kitchens, they would make like the most legit stuff. So of course oh. I would hang out with them. That, that's, who you, that's who your friends are. Like that's genius. Yeah. Make, it yeah, just, make friends. I, I, I wasn't <laughs> using them for food, but it but. just so it was a lucky side benefit, <laughs> a, a very lucky side benefit. So I'm so glad that I was in just a building with a bunch of other kinds of students. Like I was the only music kid. Which is awesome, right? Drew, do you remember your dorm experience? Like, were you on like a music? I was on like a music floor, but even still, there were some non-music people in undergrad. Um, how about how about you, Drew? Do you remember that? When I went to Mercer University, Robert McDuffie Center for Strings. Uh, uh, the, the they had a freshman male dorm that was called uh, Plunkett Hall, and this was an absolute scientific experiment. Like, <laughs> like you would go in and it would house all the freshmen regardless. So you had the cross players, the baseball players, the engineers, the law, the future lawyers, the pharmacist. And there, so like I would see people cutting each other's hair in the hallway and then just leaving it. They would take their after practice oh, equipment and throw it in the hallway <laughs> and just leave it when it rained the basement would flood and that's where we played ping pong. So that was unacceptable. Okay. Um, <laughs> like that, that's not cool. They can't do no. that to you. In college, Th- ping, pong, they did. ping pong is life. Dude, that was, that was how you got to know. That's how you made friends and enemies. Okay. And I made plenty of enemies because <laughs> you know, I'm, but you know what it is. An all day <laughs> dorm that, that really does sound, it's like the, a test like the Chernobyl of testosterone. Like it's we always just told the girls to be the girls that visited. We literally said, Hey, just don't sit on the couches. Just don't. Just don't. Just trust us. It's not touch anything. It's gross. Don't touch anything. (laughs) That's totally fair. It's very, very valid. That's that's neat. I like that the highlight you mentioned of your experience up there was living with other people. And I think that always helped me too. really just having like a frame of reference, a point of context, because we get absorbed in our music world so deep. And uh, I think I do notice kind of the conversations of people who are like either interested in other things, lived with people who who do other things or like are from non-musical families in how we talk about music, because sometimes I'll talk to people who are very ingrained in music, which is an mm-hmm. incredible privilege, but like the scope of like understanding, like walking around saying classical music things. I'm like, literally no one has any idea what you're talking about. Like no one, no one woke up mm-hmm. and was thinking about this. 
Today I'm good. Today I'm gonna take it a little bit more adagio. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how am I gonna voice this fugue? Yeah. Like, <laughs> how do you like present yourself and what you do to others? And I see mm-hmm. that in you know, pre-concert talks, all these other things. They do not even understand like these things, N- nor really should they. <laughs> so it must have been difficult to adapt. And I know you kind of you've mentioned that it. Uh, through what we've read about you that you kind of went through this somewhat of like a transformation, a change of like focus. Will you talk us through that? So this kind of, this kind of starts way back. When I was like a kid in high school and everything, I, I joined every single ensemble possible. So I played everything like rock, jazz, pop, then classical piano, but like outside of school, Uh like (laughs) no one knew in my school that I was a classical pianist. How dare so, they? Wow. Yeah, DK, how dare they? That's awesome. But it was like so much fun. I never slept, but playing in all those ensembles was kind of my life. Um, and then then I thought, or when, when it came to college, I was like, I know that I'm going to do music for sure. That's the only thing that I can do, <laughs> can do and be sane about it, you know? So then I was, at that point I knew that I guess I could play the piano. I kind of sang a bit. I did a lot of singing, but like I would hear myself and then hear other singers going into these schools. I'm like, there's no way my voice is that good. <laughs> like I could never get into any of these schools for my voice. So I went with piano hmm. and it was, a. I thought it was a pretty good decision on my part, just cause when you go to school for piano, the amount of like harmony you're exposed to and the amount of stuff you learn how to do was just like so valuable. So I'm glad I made that choice. It, it was hard, but I'm glad I did that instead of like singing mm-hmm. for a while. But then I guess now to get to the transition part or like right before my senior year of college, there was this online competition. It was an online challenge or you crash write five songs in five days. And I was like, you know what? I like songwriting, let's see what happens. So I did it and I, I like completed these five songs in five days and I'm like, this felt, this was nice. This felt good. <laughs> and that was the inciting incident, I'll call it. <laughs> that's awesome. So just one of these, like little, a little challenge, a little competition, like that's what spurred the shift towards songwriting. I love that. Yes. <laughs> and because it made me realize, hey, I'm not a total piece of shit at this. <laughs> like it's not it wasn't terrible when I was <laughs> listening back to these things. And I was like, wow, this doesn't suck horribly. <laughs> That's awesome. And though. it's like I can work with that. So, I mean, of course, they weren't great, but <laughs> That's incredible. Like it is really it's so funny because me just knowing a lot of composers, um, and this mindset has pretty much all but evaporated, like how very rapidly, like the mindset has changed that you can do anything and you should go and explore, explore because almost every classical musician likes some other genre of music for the most part. And they like love it. But then when it becomes mm-hmm. classical music time, the barrier comes up, the knowledge on this side, is classical music here. And then the things I actually enjoy is over here. And they rarely want to dip into it. But I, I love all these composers that get angry. You know, why is this like pop song so big? It's so simple. And you know, other enraged things. 
And then, mm-hmm. and then I you know, just be like, hey, well, you go try to write a pop song. And they're like, I will. And then they do. And it's just, you know, it's like the worst like song you've ever heard. And then suddenly there's an, yeah, it's, or they're like, I'm going to try to rap. And it's just like the most straight rhythmed, boring. It's right. Yeah. Like going back to uh, Jerome Begin, yeah. you know, if you make a piece that's too right. And it's. It's you know. got mm-hmm. it's got no solo touch, and then suddenly they realize like all it takes is once to try to write a song to realize how difficult that really is. So I love that you went and did it, and like now you're pursuing it. And I think it was particularly interesting that you highlight the value of studying piano because you you get like a chops a, sen- a sense of understanding, raw skill that is very useful over here in us mm-hmm. songwriter land. So how has it been? I know you're, you're, you're building, you're, you're exploring this new territory, but uh, with your experience, how has it been living in this new, this new uh, songwriter world? Well, it's interesting to come up, or my songwriting process has changed a bit over time, like anything does. I mean, that's kind of a difficult question. <laughs> but I guess... My, my piano experience has made songwriting a lot easier than I hmm. imagine it would be because I'm like, because I, I write the words in a, in a melody like at the same time. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, what chord would go best with this? And I just <laughs> change chords <laughs> at the piano. I'm like a one, <laughs> a minor three, a six, five, like, okay. Like piano makes it easy. Easier. <laughs> For sure. Uh, one thing that I found um, that is fascinating as a monophonic instrumentalist, uh, like a lot of the lines that are written for violas are like, it's it's usually just like one idea at a time, not multiple chords at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've recently started studying jazz theory, like through um, <clears throat> your experience in other genres, like... Have you have you learned jazz theory? Have you applied your jazz theory to your classical and your classical theory to your pop? Like, ha- ha- how has that changed the way you think about music and stuff? It is funny you say that because mm-hmm. I I think of things in like jazz and pop harmony most of the time. When it comes to yeah. classical pieces, like there was one time I was learning a Beethoven sonata, and of course as during the memorizing process of this Beethoven sonata, there, there are certain things you remember and certain things you don't. The first mm-hmm. thing I remember is which chord happens where, like, mm-hmm. I know there's supposed to be an A major chord right here. I forget which version of it. So I'll just play an A major chord, a random one. And then it works harmonically there. The amount of times I've done that. I just like, I know what harmony is supposed to be there. I'm like mm-hmm. E minor, okay, E minor, and then I move on to the rest of the piece. <laughs> it's lucky I if that. I remember every accompanying line, but that—that's how I think of music or where I am in it. I've actually w- wondered that because, at least when it comes to my recent projects, since like delving into jazz theory, like I can't think of classical theory anymore. It doesn't make any sense. Like jazz theory just, it it explains my role so much more deeply in terms of, so for instance, like I was playing Schubert's uh, Rosamund Quartet and I was identifying uh, fully diminished seventh chords when I probably wouldn't have thought about that 
um, Mm -hmm. with my classical theory. And then I realized every time there's a fully diminished seventh chord, I was the seventh. And because of that, I had, I, I made the conscious choice to play those notes flatter and the intonation was way better. Like, so it's just so interesting using the non-classical theory to actually inform the classical performance. It's, mm-hmm. it's changed the way that I've and questioned the way that it's taught in schools right now. Like, have you had any like uh, realizations in your career so far that, you know, you wish that like a, a an institution, like a university would have taught you? Um, let me think. Well, I wish we learned about more theories than like just the classical theory. Like it would have been cool if there was something like Indian classical or like Egyptian classical or like Japanese, like that kind of stuff is so cool that special like, shout I wish out I could have to Adam Neely's recent video. If yep. I watched it. Every, every, watched everyone's it seen it. I watched it too. Okay. We're uh-huh. going to talk. We're going to, uh, Drew and I are going to do a bonus episode. Just, just talking about, about it. it our, our oh, excellent. To it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, how did you feel about it? I'm curious. Cause that changed a lot of my perspectives. It makes a whole lot of sense. Because everything that I was taught from being a kid, because I I have been essentially taking theory since I was like eight years old. Wow. My my te- my piano teacher, she was a great piano teacher. Mm-hmm. There would be like half of the the fall of every year, there was like this theory curriculum that she would teach us every Saturday, and at oh. the end of the fall, there was like this test to see how you did or whatever. But I did that since I was eight. So like into college, theory was not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) And it is for so many people. To say the least. So I I feel very, very lucky that I had that exposure. But through none of that, did I learn anything about anything other than Beethoven, Bach, Chopin? And they're great, you know? But the dead white like, guys, like that's what we call- the, the dead white European dudes. <laughs> yeah. And when I was applying for schools and I, I saw that that was, those were like the, the classical music and stuff. That was like the only kinds of programs offered really. I mean, FSU did have some like other kinds of music, like commercial music. And they did have a jazz degree as well. I love what you said though. It's like the offerings are slim. Like mm-hmm. even at Juilliard, I would have loved to take a jazz class. There's like one improv class. I mean, that's a big problem of most schools. And it's almost like like the higher up you get in the tiers, like the more difficult. And like FSU is a very good school. And so mm-hmm. like things just get siloed more off, which is wild because I know FSU has a very good like musicology program. Yeah, they do. They, they do have a lot of world music ensembles. Mm-hmm. So I will give them that. That was, it's cool that they had that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I really wish they had like an Arabian music program. That would have been be awesome because cool. like ancient Egyptian stuff, like ancient Egyptian music. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. <laughs> well, after the pandemic, you know, it's there's always an option to go, you know, find somebody on the internet. Because we were talking about this again with Jerome Begin because he was actually he's actually taking like tabla, some lessons. tabla lessons, Ooh. Uh, which is which is Indian traditional uh drum drums yeah and rhythms yeah i mm-hmm. actually got exposed to that when i was in college because my history teacher my music history teacher was like obsessed with ragas mm-hmm. he was like yo 
like look this and, <laughs> and he like brought a whole bunch of people in so. i think yeah you really alluded to an interesting point is that like these schools might have some things but it's not open or required for everyone to be exposed to these i have a little bit of sympathy i don't have much but i have a little bit of sympathy for music schools because music is a lifelong journey it's not you can't learn mm -hmm. it in four years like maybe a certain yeah. a certain trade or a certain skill and the most difficult decision is like well what are we going to put in front of these uh students faces mm -hmm. what must be required it's kind of like building new habits obviously or forming anything everyone's proposing adding stuff it's always like oh you need to brush <laughs> brush the teeth three times a day Take a cold shower. You got to meditate. You got to do, if you counted up all the things that are good for you, you wouldn't have a job. Like you wouldn't do anything except peacefully meditate, eat at noon. That was me in July. What they don't talk about <laughs> is what gets left out. And so music school is mm -hmm. already too busy. Yeah. They're trying to weed out people and they're also trying to, you know, in the negative sense, trying to get rid of people to say, hey, do you want to be here? But two, they're also trying to get in all this knowledge. You need to know this. There's history. But what are we going to leave out? And the powers that be have just kind of made the call on what we keep. Mm -hmm. It's it's a 18th century Western classical European tradition. Like Chopin is king or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's based off of Bach. And it's like back in his time, they didn't care about him. 50 years mm -hmm. after him, they didn't even know what was going on. And the and news video is fantastic because mm -hmm. it points on a lot of things I've had to think about. I worked on developing a music theory 101. We made a video specifically about other theories and to try to like hedge that like, hey, this is a very specific type of theory. Mm -hmm. Translates to a lot of different types of music. There, there come. Mm -hmm. It is parallel. It can it can be used to break down certain things, but in other regards, it's not entirely useful compared to the logic of whatever that particular culture's piece is, or genre, or century. What is nice though is that it seems like to some degree that like foundation, you've been doing this for a long time, like since you were eight, like come on. It makes you an incredibly, <laughs> incredibly useful performer to go out to work with other people. Pianist who can read chords and read sheet music, do you do any type of like improvising or? I'm okay. I'm not terrible at improvising. It's, it's not like my strongest suit, you know, but I, I don't feel like I'm lost. You know, I, wow. I can jump in. That's big. And it's better than me. Go. <laughs> That's huge. It might not sound the greatest, but I know it's not going to sound god awful. So I'll I'll live with that. <laughs> you know, but I do remember what I was going to say with the Adam Neely thing. But with that video, and when it, when I think of music school and how I was taught, just when I was going in to music school, looking at the different offerings, it was almost like like the Western music was considered more important than the other ones. Like just like the classical European music theory, it, it looked like it was just more important than every other kind of music theory from around the world, which that it's not true at all. Cause like, I know like the Indian classical music is so legit. Like each area mm -hmm. of the world has a music theory that is like completely legit, as legit as like the Western theory. So I kind of saw it as like each, each kind of theory is like a pair of glasses, you know, like the mm -hmm. West, the Western glasses or like yeah, you can analyze that. certain kinds of music through these glasses. And then like, African music theory, like, oh, you can analyze things from this 
pair of glasses and it it'll be different like so that that's the way i like to think of music theory now especially that. after that video it's just like each each world has its own pair or each country has its own pair of glasses that you go with and if whether they analyze whether it's easy to analyze something or not it's whatever it is <laughs> but the most important thing is each each kind of music theory is so important and no, none is more important than the other you know what this reminds me of? I'm so sorry because you're my brain is exploding because like whenever I get an epiphany like this, it, it's it's a bunch of schema matching up together. So I'm a nerd, and when I was a kid, uh, like in high school, I was obsessed with astrophysics, and so I used to always like wow. go online and look. I was Neil deGrasse Tyson was it was my, mm -hmm. my I would bend the knee for the king Neil deGrasse Tyson. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so what was really fascinating is like while I was in this whole astronomy and cosmology sort of like rabbit hole, I came across uh, different wavelength pictures of the sun. And it kind of is similar to this parallel that you're talking about with ultraviolet light, looking at the sun through ultraviolet light, you see different aspects of the sun, looking at it through radio waves, you're able to see mm -hmm. other parts of this, the sunspots. Well, but you're looking at the same thing but you're getting a different message mm -hmm. by looking at the different wavelengths. And so maybe what I'm gathering for what you said is like looking at music through the different lenses, it's like you're getting a different meaning. And even if like you look through a certain lens and the meaning isn't clear, it doesn't mean that there isn't meaning. It means mm -hmm. you're looking, you're using the wrong glasses, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what Thank it you. is. That's brilliant. I think that's what kind of gets lost. And that's like such a good point of Adam Neely's video is that he's just pointing to the fact then it's one how it came about and then two how it's presented and i think that's like at the core issue like this is it that's what you teach musicians you go to music school that's that's it you might have a musicology class and if you're interested mm -hmm. and they let you in you might take old time ensemble thing or a gamelan class yeah. or something else but uh, until i started like really looking in to these other types specifically music theory because of my job. I was like, hey, go find out about the actual theories, not even the performance. Like, just Google Gamelan's theory. It's like insane. It's just pages and pages, highly complex things that is mm -hmm. interrelated to cultural, spiritual ratios and time. And it's just like this huge, fascinating thing. I love the lens metaphor and the sun metaphor because really, like, what is theory? It does two things it answers the why, and then it's a tool, it's a set of tools. In your future, either a performance or composing, it's a great tool and skill to have. You're performing, you know the chords. That's a great tool set. You know when you play this diminished chord that odds are it wants to go here, here, or here. And then like this one's <laughs> going to have a different effect. This one's going to have a different effect. You have that knowledge. It allows you to be a better performer. You can look in mm -hmm. advance. You can imagine a melody easier before it even comes. And even as a composer, it's very useful, say like film, like, okay, scary moment, boom, here's the chords I can- There's like diminish seven, nine, blah, 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 uh -oh. 13. <laughs> Evil person. Spicy. Uh, just understanding that it's not the end all be all, that theory is not an answer. It's just, it's a tool and an aid to your art and your creativity. And if you have it, you can use it. It can save you a lot of time. And if you don't have it, it's also not the end of the world. So mm -hmm. much of theory is explaining the why, why something works. Why do we hear it this way? It's not mm -hmm. like I need theory to understand. Oh, that sounds happy. I didn't need theory, but I can understand with theory why 
that certain collection mm-hmm. of notes or chords is gives me the answer. And if you can use another type of theory, pulling that in there, even better, because our Western classical music theory is not going to answer everything. So you've played in all these different types of ensembles. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously now it's hard to play with anyone, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> with this experience coming in, you've you've worked in tons of different genres. You've gone in through music school. You've got the foundations there. Uh, what are interactions like playing along with people either in different genres, different fields, or who don't have a stodgy traditional music background? Like, what what is that like? Most of the time, I just kind of sit back and go with the flow. <laughs> see see how other people go about things. It's always interesting to see how other people go about things. Because some people are so rhythmically driven, you know? Mm. Like, oh, this is like, m- make this feel like you're marching or blah, blah, blah. Think of a better description than that and put it there. <laughs> <laughs> or then, and then some people are so emotionally driven. They're like, oh, I want this to feel like your mother has died or something crazy or like that (laughs) deep. It's just interesting to see what drives other people. Cause for me, I'm very melodically driven. Like the, the melody line is what's the most important to me. So I do what I can to aid that. Mm, Me too. But it's, it's interesting just to see how other people work. See how other people, to, to actually piggyback off of like what you were saying, like, as somebody who does practice in other genres, like um, I'm wondering how you do that. Like, what do you do when you sit down and you have the intention to practice? So I guess let's put it this way. So if I'm practicing, well, no matter what I do, no matter what genre I practice, I warm up as if I was going about it in a classical manner. <laughs> Cause cla- classical warmups are good. <laughs> like they're <laughs> like with piano, like you do a bit of this, like just some hand stretches and then do some hand ins and maybe this. <laughs> oh, I don't even do this. I need to do I need this. to I gotta exercise or something. You hear my wrist cracking right now? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I warm up as if I was going about playing some classical music and then I go into whatever genre I'm about to do. I was just asking more because like, I'm trying to get advice. <laughs> I, I somehow don't believe that, you know, listening to a jazz record over and over and over again, and then transcribing it to every key, the solos <laughs> to every key is the way to practice. So I'm wondering like, what That's are an intense way to go about it. No, like every, every jazzer I know, they just say, find a couple of solos <laughs> and just learn them one by one. And it, ta- it, it I'm like, but that's going to take a lot of time. They're like, exactly. I'm like, stop. No. You see, you can always tell who plays jazz because they just walk around with like huge headphones and like situations you don't even need it. They're like leaving the communal Mm -hmm. showers, big headphones, listening to jazz. Like (laughs) they're robbing a bank, like big headphones, listening to jazz. It's like they got to get that Coltrane (laughs) Coltrane. just right. (laughs) The, The sheer level of respect that I have for these jazz musicians is very high. <laughs> like most of them practice, I, I dare say more than most like classical musicians. Easily. Like, easily. Easily. 
easily. Mm-hmm. And I, I want all the smoke, classical players. I want all the smoke. Like, because I need you to, after you're finished, like my boy Eric Silberger, I'm going to need you to do a theme and variations at the end of a concert. <laughs> Blow people away. Because that's what jazz people do all mm-hmm. the time on a daily. It's just off the dome. I love that. I love that vibe. But I guess if if you're looking for ways to practice yes. jazz. Yes, please. Well, I mean, unfortunately, it's kind of what you were saying. Something <laughs> okay. I do, something I do as a warm up most of the time is yeah. I I take a key, like let's just say C major. So I mm-hmm. play all the modes starting on C. Really? So I go, I play mm-hmm. like Ionian and then Dorian starting from C, Dorian. then like Lydian, Phrygian, like just everything starting from C. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then next day, C sharp, do the same thing. That's a, that's a warm up cycle that I've gone through many times. Wow. I've thought about doing that, but I didn't ever do it. <laughs> but now I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then I guess. Thank you. Figure out which scales go with each chord. There's a certain number of scales that fit with like a F sharp diminished seven chord. Like not, mm-hmm. not every scale is great there, but figure out which scale or which scales do work for that situation. Question. Yeah. Do question. Maybe you can help me. I actually, I've, I've been watching a lot of YouTube on this. In the F sharp diminished seven, fully diminished seven example, isn't that a unique chord where you can use the F sharp diminished seven, the A diminished seven? The C sharp diminished seven and the E diminished seven chords, or it's a, a <clears throat> chords over that an equal division of the octave. <laughs> it's an equal division. <laughs> the theory of eighteenth century white European composer <laughs> equal division of the octave. Well, with with the diminished chords, there, there's only like a handful of them because so many of mm-hmm. them have the same notes. Yeah. Like, the F sharp diminished chord, mm-hmm. like that's the same as four other diminished chords. Okay. So, so I guess was, if you that, learn that if you learn a scale for just the F sharp, then you're good for at least four of them. Like, four of them. <laughs> see, look, see, that's working smarter, not harder. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. The modern problems require the modern solutions. <laughs> I love this. We can keep diving down this theory wormhole, but I'm actually curious, like. You're very busy. You're working on all these other genres. Um, you know, you're 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 pushing out lots of uh, like YouTube content. Um, and so we're going to talk about that soon. But what non-musical things like take up your time? Um, a lot of YouTube. <laughs> I'm like right a YouTube place. fanatic. <laughs> talk to me. Talk to me. Like tapping my I, veins. I don't watch ready. much TV. Like I don't watch a whole lot of TV shows except for Avatar: The Last Airbender because that. <laughs> That show, I watched it twice through on Netflix already. It's beautiful. It's my favorite show now. <laughs> Thank you. It's Thank you. It's truly wanna, amazing. Wh- which bender are you or what kind of bender? <laughs> okay, I think I'm an earth bender, but my, my freaking roommate says, no, you're like an airbender. I'm like, I, I don't want to be an airbender, dude. I want to move rocks. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> You want to be tough. That's it. Don't be tough. Dude, she was so dope. I love tough. She's a total badass. Who's your favorite? Who's your favorite character? Favorite character. I love Sokka. And I love Zuko. The whole, like, his arc is incredible. It's beautiful. It's oh, my beautiful. God. But I really love Katara, too. Mm-hmm. Like, hard, that's a hard choice, you know? <laughs> what, what bender are you, then? 
either air or water, I think. Probably air. I'm too silly. <laughs> too silly. I'm I'm a Ravenclaw. Like <laughs> I, that, that's what I get franchise. on the that's what I get on the sorting house test, Ravenclaw. Oh really? But <laughs> Yeah, I feel like a Hufflepuff I'm a, though. I'm a Hufflepuff. There we go. Yeah, I'm a Hashtag Team Hufflepuff. Yeah, shout out. No respect. No respect. Mm-hmm. Shout out. We're, we're finders. <laughs> we find things, okay? Oh See, that, my that's my YouTube showing. What's the <laughs> most a... obscure like YouTube like type of thing? Like we, uh, not a specific channel or video, but like like a niche niche thing like that you don't know if other people are into. <laughs> it's funny, you know. Before the before the this podcast recording, I was like thinking, should I prepare anything for this? So, and I know Trevor, you always talk about speed runs. So I watched a bunch of Super oh, Mario sixty four speed runs. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh my god, that's preparation. But that's. <laughs> I wish you could see Trevor's face right now. He's getting it. pink in the face. He's I, I can away. see his face. Yeah. Well, the the, the faking the fan listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's crazy. No, 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 no. We forget too. We forget we're we're talking to an audience a lot, and I say some stuff, and I'm like, why did I say that? People are listening. It's like I can see his face. What are you talking about, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do the same thing. It's like, look, I move my hands like this, and then people are like, wait, what? What? Like when they're listening. So, how was your experience diving into uh, the speed running? Yeah. Community. I mean, I only started last night, so. <laughs> but I've I've known about the existence of speedruns, but that that's not something I watch often. But I do I do love Super Mario sixty four. I guess my my current YouTube phase is. Do you know the channel Rumi Official? No. He's this no. Swedish dude. He's done one collab with Two Set Violin. Oh. So that's where I found him because I do watch Two Set Violin yeah. most of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And got this this roomy guy. His music that he puts he puts out music sometimes and it's pretty solid. Like I like it. But his personality is so like infectious. He's so <laughs> he's like you that. just want to hug him, you know. Oh. <laughs> that's that's dope. I even I have his people that are stuff put up on. I'm like I'm watching it like with no 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 sound on and it's like mm-hmm. I get that. Like I'm so intrigued. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna check this out. What I've done. I mean, oh, yeah, he. It's, I think it's just his personality. He's so like you just want to hug him after watching a bunch of videos. He's dressed up mm-hmm. as the weekend is it, now. Is it? That's is incredible. it like? What is it about like people like that? Because like I I know exactly the type of person that's like that. And for me, I've always tried to identify like some characteristics that they show. What are some things that like people that are like, really huggable, like especially because what's super weird about it is like you have that sensation and it's through a screen, mm-hmm. right? It's not like they're right in front of you. So like, what are some things that he does that make you feel that way? Nope, so he looks into the camera, mm. like mm. just like it's like you're looking him in the eye. So that helps, like what I'm doing mm. right now. Ooh. Um, yeah, it works. No, it feels good, right? It works. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yes, he he laughs all the time, just being mm-hmm. being happy and saying silly things. Sometimes getting real about life and everything. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. I mean, I, I don't know how much of what he puts out is really what his personality is, and 
Mm-hmm. I may or may not ever find out. <laughs> but what what he does create is like a like a community feeling, and I think that's what it is. Mm. Like a sense of a sense of community with all the people. Like he seems to care about everyone. Mm-hmm. It's like I feel cared about when I watch his videos. So that's see, <laughs> I love that. Mm. I love that. Even just going, through I think we this, all need yeah. to get more of that. You know, mm-hmm. right, Trevor? Oh my God, yeah. Like that's one of the that's like one of the biggest reasons we wanted to like bring on people who listen to the pod <laughs> like you. I was like, we have to, I was like, we, we got to time this. Like we got to get Jackie on the pod because like the oh. hardest part, the hardest part about podcasting is it really does feel like such a one way street. Yeah, it does. It's just, it is, a, it's, it's been essentially almost a one way conversation. And like that's baked into, that's baked into it. Uh, and so we're trying to, to fix that. So it's so great to have um, someone who's comes on and, who's listened (laughs) i have listened yeah how did you i'm always curious like how did you stumble upon us i actually discovered drew's youtube channel a really long time ago like when i was so i think you guys or i think drew you're exactly four years older than me so when you were auditioning for grad school i was auditioning for undergrad Mm. whoa so wow. I was seeing all your Juilliard stuff and I was like, that is cool. <laughs> and then I was awesome. Just as I was preparing my auditions, it, it was just cool. Getting in the zone, getting in the vibe, right? It's a vibe. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it, it is totally a vibe. So that that's where I found you. And then I, I definitely, I think I followed you on Instagram many years later because I just forgot yeah. about it. And then yeah. on Instagram, I saw right when the podcast started and I was like, oh, this is awesome. This seems like it would be everything. <laughs> so I have, I'm, I'm listening and I'm like, this is everything. This is... <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Thank you. What's really funny is like when I was starting YouTube, like Trevor was in like, like my second or third video. We barely that, knew uh, each the other. The truth about so. Juilliard. <laughs> barely knew, barely knew each other. Mm-hmm. That was like my first video that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna try to make a video. I need help. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and in full circle, we're here because of that. John Hong was in that video too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're here because of things like that. That's so crazy. It's. The things we do in our lives, we don't know what those actions are going to engender years down the road. We, we just mm-hmm. think, oh, I did this thing today. I made this thing today. It got 12 views today. Um, mm-hmm. Damn. Okay. I guess that's, that's all there is to it. But then you don't think about the longevity and, and it being out there and it eventually reaching more people and mm-hmm. what it may do for them. And so I love the sort of thing that you were talking about, like just like trying to create community because I think we're all trying to figure this thing out. All it does 
years has helped me second guess myself and I'm tired of not hearing my own voice in my head. Speaking of figuring this thing out, what are some challenges in your life right now uh, with COVID-19 and what you were doing with your life? Like how, what are some challenges that you're uh, encountering right now as a musician during this time? I guess outside of me creating music and stuff, I do teach some lessons at a local music school. Cause I, I left New York and then I was like, let's get a job. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I, I left without much of a plan. So I just came home. And then a few weeks after I was home, I was like, let's, let's get a job. So I'm very lucky that the, the first place I applied to was like, okay. So I've, I've been teaching since like the beginning of January and it's been pretty cool. I've been teaching like piano and singing lessons. And before the quarantine started, I had like 10 students. And then as soon as the quarantine started, people started just disappearing. So from mm -hmm. that initial 10 that I had right then and there, I, there's only one left from the original 10. Mm -hmm. And then there was one, there's one new girl who came on two, three months ago at the start of the pandemic, funny enough. And this like eight year old who's not, she's, she's not eight. I think she's like nine or 10, but it's a big difference for these kids. <laughs> it's like, I'm yeah. not eight. Come on. Like not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big deal. Every year is like a lifetime. Yeah. Man, if you remember. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I can only imagine how they're feeling through this. Right. Like imagine you're like five and like two and a half, three years of your life, you had to stay in your house and you yes. didn't understand why. It's mm. got to be nuts. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I guess as far as challenges, I mean, since I've, I've only got those two students right now, so I'm not really making much with that. Mm -hmm. So I'm building up other things on the meantime or in the meantime, mm -hmm. because well, I'm just, I'm putting a lot of time into my, my YouTube videos and I did just start a Patreon page. Woo, plug. Ooh, Patreon <laughs> plug. Plug it. Link in the description. What is it? What is the name of it? What's the backslash? It's just a Jackie Carroll music. Jackie Carroll music. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, so go support Jackie Carroll, y'all. Come on. Oh, thanks. Yeah, of course. You're, you're very welcome. But I, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm working on building those things. And I'm currently writing a song that I will definitely put on Spotify soon because I have nothing on there yet. Yeah. The first one's always the hardest. That's scary. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's intimidating, but you've got it in the works. So, yeah, it's, it's in the works. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry I asked particularly about challenges. I know that, that that's a, it's a pretty challenging time for everybody right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, would you like me to share a challenge that I'm I'm going through? Sure. I'm going through a challenge of uh, trying to figure out how I can be most useful to people um, without sacrificing uh, myself. So that's that's something that I'm I'm really having a really hard time with, especially during a time like this, because I feel uh, a great need to, you know teach kids, but a lot of people uh, don't want to pay me for lessons or they don't want to do this. And so I'm trying to balance how do I do pro bono things and, and assist people while also uh, making sure that there's something left for me at the end of it as well. 
What about you, Trev? What you struggling with? Man, that's the that's the art. You just described the artist artist struggle right there. I think with everyone <sighs> else there, it is that balance. We've had particularly like including you, Jackie, like all of our most recent guests, like just this kind of running theme of like service as like as like a foundational mission. And that mm-hmm. that is a hard one because service it's it is an act of giving and that we're all trying to figure out that balance of as artists and as citizens of like, well, what, what, what can we do? It's the airplane metaphor. Like, do I put the mask on first? I got to eat, but yet I still want to give, give back. And I think that's something we're, we're all trying to tackle and like find out that balance because um, if someone gives it all one month, but that drains them for three years, was that the best use of energy? I don't know. Like, these are all like interesting questions. I wanted to, mm-hmm. in the, with this idea of service, shifting into YouTube and particularly your YouTube channel, because you've got a lot coming out. <laughs> As someone who is a YouTube connoisseur, what type of thoughts or ideas or actions went into you kind of designing your own YouTube channel? What can I do? <laughs> <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> Well, well, I guess, what what do I really like? And I don't think I've talked about this much yet. I'm a total metalhead. I love yes. heavy rock music. Like Speak that, to me. that's everything for me. What? Like that's the thing I pushed aside to study my class, to study the classical. Whoa. Me- metal <laughs> is my world. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Let's, let's go. <laughs> Trevor just busted out his electric guitar and just said, no big deal. A metalhead. Shred, yeah. We haven't had life. many of those on here. Like, <laughs> I loved it. But I, I have this classical background, but I really love metal and heavy rock and stuff. So I was like, I could just put out a bunch of metal covers because <laughs> that's, that's what I can do, you know? Do you know my friend Jonathan Young Music by any chance? Did, did he happen to be on the podcast once? No. Not yet. Oh, so I, then I, no, I, I do not. I would love to have him. Okay, so back in the day when I was just starting out YouTube and just starting to get a few my first few subscribers, I was trying to join this YouTube musician's Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And he was one, he among Albert Chang, uh, Sherry Kim, a lot of people who were content creators in the space of YouTube, they were classically trained and were making content, were in this cha- this this Facebook group. And uh, Jonathan Young was one of those people. And what was really cool is he would make heavy metal covers of Disney music. Yes. <laughs> and that, that's, how, that's how his channel- I'll make a man out of you, yeah. man. Oh my, well, that oh, sounds yes, pretty metal. Yes, it's like one of his biggest, it's one of his biggest covers. Under the yeah, sea. Yeah. It's, it's insane. <laughs> You should check him out, Jonathan Young. Yeah, and he he plays the drums, he plays the bass lines, the guitar, and he sings it. Like he does the whole thing, and it's epic. What a boss! Like he's a boss. He's a boss. I love him mm-hmm. to death. I haven't seen him in a long time, but I hope he's doing well in these times. And you should just mm-hmm. de- definitely check out his channel. Oh my god. Okay, so is it? It's Jonathan, Jonathan Young. Yeah, I wrote it down. Awesome. Yeah. Taking notes. Pencil. Taking, I am taking notes on the faking notes podcast. It's, it's on the so on brand. Notes. I mean, even like I see you got like the Lincoln Park, like the most recent video, like Lincoln Park, like right there. Like, it, mm-hmm. It's it's nice. Did you? I'm very curious. So I was huge into rock. That was really actually my avenue into classical. Is I was mm-hmm. su- and super into metal and just guitar virtuosity. 
And then through that, I want this, I want even harder stuff. And the teacher's like, well, have you tried Bach? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then I do it and I try what? to play a block, block, like a Bach fugue on guitar. And it's like 4 million times harder than any metal song. <laughs> and like, this is yeah. kind of, this is kind of metal. <laughs> but I mean, if you listen closely to, you know, Tenacious D? Oh yeah. If you listen closely to the guitar solos in Tenacious D, they all sound like Bach uh, inventions. Like I heard this once and I thought, oh my God, they're just playing Bach inventions. <laughs> I love that. But metal. I don't know. But it's but metal. It's just like, yeah. oh, there's so many metal covers of like Vivaldi because once you put on distortion, it, it's almost indistinguishable from a metal song. And Shostakovich too. Honestly. Shostakovich sounds like some math. Some math, dude. Is oh, that's got to be legit metal. Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> it's insane. There's the eighth string quartet. Do, yeah, the string quartets are super dope. <laughs> and I've seen like guitarists like with full distortion do the whole quartet on guitar. It's so <laughs> I've actually thought of this one time. What's like the most metal classical thing I know? It's something by... Who who did the pictures at an exhibition? There's oh, it's the Baba oh, so Yaga it's from Pictures of an Exhibition. That's the most metal classical thing I know. Oh yeah, like like all that like jeez. I love that. Shout like John Wick's gonna come out of the off stage left and murder some people. Have you? Yeah. Have you heard? It's Baba Yaga. It's so nice to like yeah talk to a fellow metalhead because we don't, we don't get many of those particularly those i feel like i'm uh, like drew and i's age is actually towards like the end towards the end of the cutoff like when rock kind of like fell off as far as like pop goes mm-hmm. so i i played a bunch of guitar in high school completely set it aside for say 10 years and now i'm pulling it back out for like film scoring and just for for funds so I, I went to my old sites, your ultimateguitar.com, like other things and i was like yes. oh what are people doing now and i checked the top 100 and it hasn't changed in 10 years. I go teach, try to teach guitar students. They don't know any song that like involves, remotely involves guitar. They want to be producers, but their parents want them to learn an instrument. <laughs> like how, how did you really find your way into metal? I know the exact moment. I was seven years old. I was listening to my mom's running iPod. She, my mom's a runner. She wow. runs very far. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I was, I grabbed her iPod when I was like seven years old. I was listening and then I found the song Haunted by Evanescence. Yes, Evanescence. Oh. And I was hooked from that moment on to heavy rock. <laughs> ah, Evanescence. It really defines the early 2000s, Evanescence. Are we looking forward to more metal piano covers? Uh, well, yes. I... <laughs> I'm continuing to do these metal covers, but it's funny because I'm taking these metal songs, but I'm kind of paring them down a little bit. I'm like essentially turning a bunch of these metal songs into piano ballads because there are a lot of piano metal covers that exist that like keep up the intensity. But if I was to sing them too, I did want to pare them down a bit. So it, (laughs) it wouldn't be crazy on my voice, you know? Yeah. So I've just been, I've been kind of stripping everything down. So I'm taking all these songs and making them more, I guess, singable for this context. I love that. Adapting. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I mean, look at, like, talk about YouTube, Scott Bradley as like postmodern jukebox. Oh, yes. 
time warping all these classics intentionally, and he's got a whole career out of it. He winds up in video games, like Bioshock Infinite, specifically for his his skill and expertise in taking songs and just moving them to a different context. Is there a particular mm-hmm. metal song that you think works better as like a a pared down classicalized piece than the actual original? There's one that I've done recently that actually does, and I was surprised. Do you know Avenge Sevenfold? Oh, do I? They're I love them so much. They're <laughs> they're one of my top three favorites. Oh my goodness. But they have a song called Lost. And I I list, I was listening to it a few months ago and I thought, this has a really pretty melody and a beautiful chord progression. Let's slow it down and <laughs> let's let's turn this into a piano ballad. And I did it for my channel. And I honestly like the way that one turned out more than the original. Because the original is like thrash. It is it is very thrashy. And it's a great song. But this I really liked it in this context. It surprised me. I think I saw them in concert at a <laughs> Project MySpace. <laughs> what? <laughs> to date to date it MySpace. <laughs> when they had a music What's festival. <laughs> but uh, a bitch sevenfold, like they always have like the dual guitar solos. And they're just running in harmony, but it just sounds so dope. And it's such a classical mm-hmm. move too. Like I think all these street court dudes, oh, yeah. that's what they're doing. And it just sounds incredible. Oh my God, Avenged Sevenfold. Takes me back. Takes me back. I love their music so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't heard of any of these people and uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> if, if you start with the song, A Little Piece of Heaven, you won't be, you won't be disappointed. <laughs> I, I have had so much difficulty getting into heavy metal. It's been it's been that genre and country that have been the most challenging for me. And I, I try to keep my mind open and mm-hmm. I've tried many times. I just have I have a hard time. But I mean, but I'm I mean, some things, if you're not into it, then you're just not into mm-hmm. it. It's but as a musician, I think it's important to understand why you don't like something and also like to still see it for what it is and why it's important and, and like, yeah, that is true behind it. Um, because then you'll, if you understand it, you'll be able to relate to people. Guy is orange. I don't. Um, I'm not really worried about. <laughs> it's metal outside. Oh wait, yeah. Speaking. Speaking out. of that, are are you okay in Los Angeles? I don't know hey. exactly how the fires are doing there, but I don't know how anything is going right now. Uh, it's it's just kind of. The, what I will say, you know what? It's okay. Don't worry about me. I hear the ice cream truck playing. Like as oh, soon as okay. I only get worried when the ice cream trucks stop running. So Labor Day was a little freaky for me. I was like, wait, why aren't there ice cream trucks? Why are you taking Labor Day off? You don't stop <laughs> yeah. for a pandemic. Like why why is Labor Day an exception? But 
It's like when you hear the tiptoe through the tulip song in Inception. That's like the oh yes. shit moment. <laughs> yes. I love the um I'm trying to just imagine that scene, Drew. Like you gotta go out there and film that. That's like B-roll for a horror film. Like the sky is orange, the world's on fire, and then an ice cream truck is going through. Like, come on. Come on. That's Yeah. Yeah. I'll go out and grab the clip and put it in my story. That's poetic. Actually, it's very <laughs> metal. Like that kind of actually yes. describes your this is your gateway to metal. Like put on the headset and like just walk and breathe in the ash and just Your gateway to metal, walk outside. Walk outside. You know, literally at least the at least the rapture has ice cream. You know, it's like yes. what the couch is probably gonna do. It's like, look, I'm gonna get me some vanilla. <laughs> Oh God! I love vanilla. Okay, please, yeah. please don't. don't no, don't I'm not. Me. I'm not crapping on vanilla. Don't worry. The, the OG. So many people do. The OG. So many people do. In the specifics, you as a YouTube consumer, if you're doing a lot of these covers and you're kind of bringing this together, uh, like, dude, was it kind of just like a a, a quick decision? Like, hey, I'm like, because it was beginning of the year. This is pre-pandemic, correct? When you you started this journey. Yes, this was pre-pandemic. And it's like, this is what I'm going to do. And you just jumped in and did it. When I left New York, I knew I wanted to sing for sure. That was the whole, like the New York state of mind being inspired by everyone doing <laughs> what they're doing. I'm like, I don't want to hide this singing thing anymore. I genuinely want to sing and stuff. So I started taking lessons and I'm still taking lessons now. And it's really helped. And... I was like, this would be a good way to practice. This would, this would be like a good like lab. But then also like, I love YouTube. So it's kind of goes hand in hand. I've, I've thought about doing YouTube stuff for many years. <laughs> What's been the biggest, uh, or what was the biggest impediment for you? Like uh, from getting started? Well, I guess disliking the sound of my own voice was a big thing. Cause yeah. I mean, everyone, everyone does not like the sound of their own voice especially Same. singers and stuff. So that, that was a hurdle I needed to jump over. So I started small. I, I started doing a bunch of singing videos on my Instagram, like a year and a half before I did any YouTube stuff. Mm -hmm. Just to, cause I'm like, my, my voice can handle that. Cause it was, it, it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible enough that I couldn't do that, you know? <laughs> It's like, I remember when I first started, I hated my voice. I was like, why? I sound like such a, ew. Like, <laughs> I forgot no. about that, so you reminded me. You reminded me how I felt that way. Yeah, it was, it was mostly just, just um, saying, fuck it. Yes. <laughs> why not? <laughs> Let's go. Stay hard. <laughs> But then I also read this book. There's there's this lady named Marie Forleo that has a book called Everything is Figure Outable. Ooh, and it's like it's a pretty that. solid book. And there's there's one thing she preaches in this book that's like start before you're ready. Mm. And I'm like, "Well, I'm not ready. I'll go." <laughs> no, I'm at the starting point, you know. Let's go. There, there's no podcast. harm done in this. Like me putting up a video of me singing semi-mediocrely, but not terrible, is not going to kill someone. It's not going to do much to hurt me. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I might have, 
I'm trying to think how old is do you, any like frame for how old that book is? Like, is it? It actually came out like December of 2019. It's pretty new. I think that's, I've like, I feel like I've heard of it and uh, she might've done like an interview or something about it and about uh, like learning to sing. I'm trying to think, or someone else followed it. For her, it was dance. She was doing yeah, she dance. She did a whole thing of learning to dance. I think someone had, it was it was like an interview about someone who had also like read that and they were just like tracking their process of learning how to sing. And she played the recording. She was just like, oh, I want to learn how to like sing this one, this one song. And someone with no musical training and like a true, like everything requires practice. But like, if you heard mm-hmm. this, like, okay, like we got, we got work to do. And, yeah. but this person did it. And like, that was kind of the point. And as someone who, I don't know about you, Drew, but I'm like very uh, conscientious about my voice, particularly the singing voice, because I was not the family singer. My sister had a great voice um, and then goes off into theater, but she just has an incredible voice. Powerful. And so she kind of covered the singing and typically for like scrawny young dudes, singing isn't cool either. I played something cooler like the bassoon. Uh, but so cool, <laughs> yeah, super cool. I mean, that's probably how <laughs> I got the guitar was like, Hey, it's music, and like it'll make me look cool because I was a tiny, shrimpy little pale kid. But I would not sing, I would not sing. I was terrified, even still to that day, like coming out and just singing a little wild. I mean, ear, ear training class where you have to stand up and embarrass yourself in front of your colleagues for two years, like that really helped. But there is something that's rough, that, yeah, yeah, like there's rough, but boy, that is that is trial rough, by fire. Yeah. That's figure outable. Yeah, it's it's a great way to learn. That's yes. figure outable. It's like all these people, none of you guys can sing. Stand up and sing this. Okay, but it took a lot of. <laughs> it it's also comforting and humbling to know. I wonder how it is, um, you Jackie. Just be, because there's, we might be so well trained in one aspect of music. For me, it's intimidating, like knowing, like, oh, I'm very good at thing, very good at this instrument, and then you pick up another one. It took me a while to just realize like how humbling and how grateful it was to just be bad at something. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. It's very important to do something that you're bad at <laughs> or else it's like an ego trip, I think. That was probably the one thing that kept me from not being like female version of a dick in high school. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were no other classical pianists. So I was kind of like alone in that. But I, I picked up trombone in high school. I was the worst at it. I was like last chair. <laughs> I, w- I literally just did it to hang out with my friends in band. I love it. <laughs> and That's it was dope. so much you fun being trip. the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you, but, you don't have to prove anything except that you're getting better, right? Mm. Yeah, I'm like, wait, I can play this scale a little bit more in tune. <laughs> How's it been taking uh, lessons post-school? Because that's something, I don't know about you, Drew, but for many of us, <clears throat> like there's this weird thing that happens in music school. It's lesson, lesson, lesson. Oh, I'm done with music school. I'm done with lessons. No more knowledge is to be gained on my own. I've learned it all. I, everything else I just have to figure out. But you, you, you leave music school. And then you go get more lessons. Like how, how's it been taking lessons outside of the school context? It's been really relaxing because <laughs> when you're in school, it's almost like your, your life depends on being prepared for these lessons. It, it, you get that feeling like this is what you're there for. All the pressure is on this. And you, you also get the feeling that like nothing else matters. At least that, that's the kind of like emotion that I noticed in the piano departments. 
of, of both schools I went to, you know, but now that I'm not, now that my life does not depend on these lessons, it makes it a whole lot more enjoyable. <laughs> no, no offense to my piano teachers in the past. <laughs> if anyone ever comes across this, you're awesome. But um, <laughs> shout out. <laughs> but it was, heat. it was a lot of pressure and heat, right? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of pressure. But with my singing lessons now, I just feel like I'm, I'm going at my own pace. Like I'm not doing them every week. I'm doing like every other week. So more time to practice and I'm working on exactly the music that I want to work on. And just mainly I'm just getting my technique up because my technique was terrible. <laughs> so I feel that, I feel that mm -hmm. very deeply technique every week that's my shit oh my god i love that it's actually it's it's kind of like in, inspiring to hear that it's a good reminder yeah that's like okay and that it can be anything can is figure outable and you're in the process of doing that i know mm -hmm. at least with my relationship to singing it's always been like fear-based uh, and until i think in college my bassoon teacher who i loved uh who did it because he was more of a life mentor than a music mentor and he always, mm -hmm. just in the technical side of thing, he's just like, if you sing through your instrument, uh, it'll solve almost all of your problems. And like, I don't have to, when I'm not thinking about these. And so he kind of worked on just being a singer through the instrument and have you try to like sing, sing through a line in, in a lesson. And while as terrifying as that was to me, if I couldn't do it, I probably played it really poorly too. That's a, that's a great way to practice things. Just sing it. A wind instrument. He's like, oh, sing this to me. And I'm like, he encouraged it. And so now that's something I tell all my students too. I'm like, just sing it. And like, you can, music theory, if you sing it, you can often hear what it's telling you and trying to get you to do and work backwards from mm -hmm. there. But I've at least noticed for me, like I've always, whenever I do try to sing, it has been a lot of fear and resistance. I try to always do it in a funny way and like intentionally bad. Mm -hmm. But I do remember one time in a parody song about, one of my friends, Drew Sad Haddad, <laughs> we released a parody, some a couple parody tracks under a Beats by Sad, and we Wait, did where it. Where is this? Oh, it's it's in deep it's deep SoundCloud under Beats by Sad, and um, okay. And so the funniest <laughs> part is is it's we went in the studio. We're leaving the studio. It's about to shut down at midnight. It's like ten thirty, and we're walking out. And my friend Nathan Prilliman's walking in, and he walks past us. And we're like, hey, we're we're leaving. And uh, he's like, yo, you guys want to like write a song? And I could have no experience, but we go in there. We find an old clip of Saad from probably like 2007 on Facebook wearing a do-rag. So there's the profile pic. And we write three, oh three little songs. God. One of them just a saying his name over and over. So the best part is we release it. We're, you know, this is it's an hour and a half. So like my friend makes beats, makes the beats, the background. We don't even listen to it. Me and my other friend are like trying to come up with lyrics. And we, mm -hmm. and so I was like, okay, put me in the booth. And I, I won. I've never sang into a microphone in my life. I've never written a song in my life. And so I go in there and the first time I'm hearing it is in the headset. And so, it, but it, it sounds like it gets kind of really prepared. on the spot there. It, yeah. It's really on the spot to <laughs> none of these skills, but the, the, my, my favorite part is it comes in. And so people are going up to him in school and like, say, dude, I love your tracks. They thought it was him. <laughs> And he's like, I'm going to kill you guys. Because his, his family That's were like, a good compliment. His, his family was like, 
Someone, you know, someone commented on one of the postings of it. We really like this new direction you're taking. <laughs> but but he, he oh laughed. God. He loved it. It was really funny. But uh, the point being was that in that context of just the silliness and like, hey, this is like a funny little joke. It was freeing. That was like the first and only time I've saying. But I think finding ways to make it fun. It wasn't a school thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a piece. I wasn't going to really release it public heck it was under a my friend's name and it just wound up being like a hilarious fun little experience and i don't it just like hearing you describe your journey through this just reminded me of that moment to just keep it fun and also just do it put it out there mm-hmm. yeah because you got like nothing to lose it's if it doesn't hurt anyone or kill anyone you're good like <laughs> <laughs> Harm to none. My mom used to always say that. I want this to pop off with harm to none. And I think that's such a great way to frame it. It's like, uh, I love that. I, um, I'm so inspired by this conversation, y'all. Like, I, I was feeling kind of blue. Like, but I love that story about Trevor, about you, like, make just, like, having fun and trolling your friend. And like having the song that like people were, people listen to it and you just didn't even try. They were like, yo, I felt that. <laughs> yeah. Yo, that, that's, that's a mood. And so I think that what's really tough with social media is like to feel uninhibited in that way. So mm-hmm. um, I definitely think that like as somebody who's experienced, you know, many different phases in my career as like a, somebody who's released music and who's released stuff to people for it to be judged first yeah people don't really care and then second people are like whoa this is cool and then they care and then third they're like i'm bored (laughs) so it's like really (laughs) always always trying to figure out how to transform so are, are there ways in which you know you're hoping to develop as a as a musician and as a creative overall jackie that you haven't really gotten your hands on yet but you're looking looking forward to I'm really in the learning how to produce and mix and master grind because that that is something I really would love to get good at. And I've I've been doing some basic mixing and mastering on like pretty much all my videos the last few months just because I'm Mm -hmm. I'm kind of slowly learning how to do it. I'm I'm just taking it easy most of the time because I'm only mixing my my piano and my voice. But there's one track I did like last week where I started, where I used virtual instruments for the first time. I was using like the mm-hmm. Spitfire labs. Oh like, yeah. That is beautiful. Those, those Spitfire labs. You got to get the, got like the string section. Get in the that. soft piano. Okay. I, I will definitely do that, but I'm, that's the next like big thing that I'm taking on. Cause learning how to do that stuff is like, it's like learning another instrument. Like that's oh, it is. how much in depth it is. And you got to practice so that, it. And it's, it's why I like that when it still confuses me. I've been trying to figure mixing and mastering mm-hmm. production out for years. And like, it, it's just like music. It seems like it's such a trial by fire. You know, with music, we keep learning a piece and then you're going to pick up something from that piece and that will help you with the next piece. And so mm-hmm. mixing and mastering, I'm still, finding out there. The great thing though, is that the community, it, the community is really active on YouTube. So you're in the right spot. Yeah. There's a lot of mixing and mastering producer people it's, out there. Do you have any people to recommend? I'm like trying to find my people that I really follow to the end. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, there aren't any specific people yeah. 
that I can recommend. I just, if there's a specific thing I need to figure out how to do. Although actually the person I was talking about before, the YouTuber Rumi official, Mm -hmm. he's a producer and he sometimes does producer things. Even Andrew Huang, like big time Andrew. Yeah, just stuff too. I bought a plugin because he told me to buy it. And like, I don't, (laughs) I don't follow his, I don't follow his, um, his videos that much at all, but I was trying to look up, Hey, should I buy this plugin? And it was in his like seven things. I don't, you know, I use it in every session. I was like, well, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) But even like Spitfire, like I think it's, this is incredible. Then the nice thing about it is the freedom, particularly when you get to these virtual instruments is the creative freedom Mm -hmm. and free stuff sounds amazing. Oh my God. Yes. I feel so lucky that it's out there. Like I haven't purchased anything. The only thing I've purchased was like the $60 down payment on Reaper after 60 days. Like that's the only thing I've bought It's when incredible. it comes to, and then like the audio interface, but that wasn't terrible really. What, did, what audio interface did you get? I have a Scarlet Solo. There we go. Okay. There, there was a pack that had like this mic, the stand and like the Scarlet Solo interface. It was like about like 200 bucks. And there was like okay. a pop filter too. And it, it had just everything I needed. So that, that's the only payment. <laughs> the thing that inspires me about all this too, this produ- whole, this whole side of production that isn't, isn't mentioned at all to classical musicians, but would be incredibly mm-hmm. useful because we're trying to get content out there. We're trying to figure out how to record, make our album sound better. And not many people are need to go into the studio anymore. It's a new avenue and it's very mm-hmm. accessible. And my, my first job after grad school of all things was teaching music production. I was not qualified at the time. I later became more qualified, but I sh- Ableton, right? Yeah. Ableton. I think and I've Logic. shared that story on here before for sure. Oh God. It was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We talked about it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it was something else. I, I learned my 15 year old student like taught me everything I knew. Excellent. But it was incredible. But the thing that really like drew me to it, inspired the more and more I found out about it was it's just very accessible. The knowledge is actually very difficult. Like that's probably the hard Mm -hmm. thing, but it comes in with fun music. It's presented in a fun way and people get obsessed and they're producing their own stuff. But what used to cost millions of dollars, you had to have a recording studio. You had to have all these things. Kids have orchestras in the box. They can make orchestral music. They can make beats, they can make songs, full songs, fully produced that can reach millions almost for free. Just to, they're just a laptop away. And mm-hmm. you can't, it's really, you can't really say that about classical music. It's very hard. It's much more no, you rare. Can't, yeah. You need that expensive instrument. You need 10 years of training. It's something like a recent guest, Sam Walder came on and talked about. It's just opening up, opening up the access is one tricky part. Is this the guy that had the violin app? Yep, that's him. Yes, that that was a really cool thing. He's really cool. That app was super cool. It's it's fascinating, and like he, it's Mm -hmm. just like looking and addressing a problem in classical music that, like, say, I think that's probably to some degree why rock music and metal has like kind of struggled to come to the pop forefront to be as big because even even still with guitar, the barrier to entry is a lot lower on the the cost you can get all you need for a guitar very cheaply but you still need mm-hmm. the the practice the training the lessons it's a it's a multi-year long journey to get really good so to speak but like production mm-hmm. you can come in there it's also cheap it's cheap to enter and like the amount of knowledge free things templates things to work off of but really both the knowledge and the tech 
is there for people to use. And so I love it. I think that's one of the best things that's happened to music is it's really open and you can get to mm -hmm. the final product. That's just absolutely incredible. It's awesome that you're learning that and going through and you've got that as part of your your future. Just to bring this to a close, where do you see your YouTube channel and Patreon going? Are there any particular next moves we should be on the lookout for? Well, I'm going to release something on Spotify pretty soon, but it, it'll appear on my YouTube channel as well. I, I haven't written it yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I feel that. it's all, You're always in production, mm -hmm. under, under construction. I love it. Yeah. I, I was waiting for a long time to release something on Spotify because I was like, my music production skills are not good. So let's 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 brush these up a bit. <laughs> so now now they're at a point where I'm like, I, I won't feel ashamed of myself if I do. <laughs> there we it's go. not going to be an embarrassment to my name if I release a song on Spotify. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you ever have any questions about how to do that, like you can always reach out to me. Like mm -hmm. I, I I figured it out. It's actually not as hard as you think. But uh, it just you just have to get the right service that's going to take care of you. That's all. But, We're really looking forward to it. So yeah, we are. I'm pumped. I can't wait. I can't wait for well, you thanks. to drop it. Come on, come on. <laughs> We're in quarantine. We need the content. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So that, and then just my YouTube channel. Keep keeping up with that. And that's Jackie Carroll music. Wait, yeah, on YouTube it's just Jackie, Jackie Carroll. Carroll, and then. Two R's, two L's. I don't know. Just I haven't. Yes, two R's, two L's. It's like the author Lewis Carroll, but not. <laughs> I'm sure you've had a lot. Of... I have no relation. <laughs> I, I say that about Ford too. I'm like, I have an E at the end. It's I'm not yep. the heir. The car with the E. Not the guy. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, thanks again for coming, mm -hmm. coming on and sharing your story and just happy to have you as part of the fake i've really learned a lot oh thank you so much for inviting me as soon as you sent me that message i was like oh my god <laughs> like, mind blown oh we wrote We're in there to have you this is this is really great this is inevitable this is inevitable we, you are coming on the pod thanks again we'll be on the lookout for that spotify release and everyone go check out youtube patreon and okay till next time jack okay till next time hey thanks for having me you guys thanks for coming